Go ahead and open in your Bibles uh, for the last week in Jonah, the book of Jonah. If you did not bring your own Bible, uh, it's found on page 897 in the Pew Bible. It's a, sometimes a hard book to find. It makes up a single spread in my Bible, the book of Jonah. One of those staple stories they tell the children in Sunday school, but... Um, they walk away learning that there was a big fish, and that was about it. Uh, but there, as we've discovered in the last three weeks, and, and again we will this morning, that there is much more to the story of Jonah than we would have assumed. Um, God is so, what we see is God is so, so merciful. We discover all through this book, the God of mercy. And it's so interesting because it comes in mysterious ways, ways that we would sometimes at face value, not assume is God being merciful or kind, but He indeed is. So, I want to ask you a question. Uh, do you think that if you experience God's mercy, you would be so thrilled to obey God, right? Well, we learned Jonah is not necessarily that way. But then, once he finally does obey... Then if if you obeyed and you went and you told someone the gospel of Jesus and they repented and they believed and they became a Christian, that you would be ecstatic, right? Well, as we will see, you may think it's great, excited and encouraged. That would be everybody's response. We'll discover that's not Jonah's response. Jonah was not ecstatic. He was not excited that the people repented. Jonah thought it was evil. And he was angry. He thought God had done something wrong. It greatly displeased Jonah that God would allow these people to repent. It made him angry. And we have to ask why. Because as we've discovered throughout this book, we are more like Jonah than we would like to admit at times. And so perhaps there is even some of this uh, in us this morning. But what's interesting is what you know about God may or may not change you at all. What you know about God may or may not change you. We're going to discover that this morning too. And that's a a fearful statement because a lot of people bank on their knowledge of God. I I know about God. I'm increasing in my knowledge of God. I read the Bible. I go to church. I, I do X, Y, or Z. I know about God. That's not enough to change you, as we will see. Jonah chapter 4. This is God's word. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till, uh, till he should see what should become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, 
And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of God that ends on a strange note. Asking about the cattle, you think, this is not finished, is it? Is there a chapter 5? And there's not. We wish there was so it could carry on the thought, like, why, why did he care about the cattle? But what we're going to discover, it's because God is merciful and he loves his creation. So let's make sure that we have the story of Jonah downright, that he wasn't just a guy and a fish and that's about it. God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh. He disobeys God. He disregards what God says altogether. He insists on his own way. Sounds a lot like us, right? But God doesn't let him get his way. So Jonah gets on this ship, and he's thrown overboard, and he thinks he's dead. He thinks once he goes overboard in that sea that he is, he's a dead man. He assumes that God is casting the acceptable and right judgment on him in that moment. That when he goes under the water, he is going to suffer and perish for his wrongdoing. That his suffering, his loneliness in the water, his feeling trapped is right. But yet, God in mercy sends a great fish to rescue him, as it were, to save his life. He's freshly reminded of how gracious God is, giving men what they do not deserve. That's God. And Jonah's reminded of that. He does not deserve to live another moment. He doesn't deserve a rescue. He doesn't deserve any of that. So he's reminded of this. Now he's overwhelmed with gratitude, it says in the end of chapter 2. Overwhelmed with gratitude, so he vows to do what he has promised that he will obey God and and live for God. So then God gives Jonah a second chance. I'm sure you've had second chances from God as well. This time, we learn in chapter 3 that Jonah responds in obedience. This is great. He replies in obedience. He goes and he does as God says. He traveled to Nineveh, the great and wicked city, and he preached that God would overthrow it in 40 days, just as God told him to say. So the people being cut to the heart, responded to God in repentance. They responded in repentance. And Jonah is upset about that. He thinks it's wrong. He thinks it is exceedingly uh, wicked. The beginning of chapter 4, most English translations dull this down because they don't want Jonah to see so evil. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, is what the ESV says. It's, it's that he thought God was evil in allowing Nineveh to live. He thought it was a wicked act that they should live, that they should not perish, that Jonah said, in 40 days, you're going to be overthrown, like you're going to die. That was his message. So he thought, it is it's not right of God to spare them. Uh, one commentator says, though Jonah hardly comes across as a hero anywhere in the book, He appears especially selfish, petty, temperamental, and even downright foolish in chapter 4, which is so true. 
So let's take a look at this chapter in a little more detail so we can understand it to apply it to our own lives because we know that we are more like Jonah than we would like to admit. So you see in verse 1 there, it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. He was angry. Who had the right to be angry here? God did. Jonah disobeyed God directly to his face. God had the right to be angry. And then when he gave him a a second chance, Jonah finally obeyed. But God also had the right to be angry at Nineveh. The people who had spit in his face, who had been wicked and, and given him and his creation a bad name. So God had the right to be angry. But here, this man Jonah is displeased exceedingly. Or he thought it was evil. And he was angry. Why would he be angry? Someone repented. Someone believed the gospel. Someone's sins were forgiven. Isn't that not something to rejoice over? Here's the thing. I know that you and I have the same heart. We have the same heart as Jonah. How many people cringe at the thought of Hitler being forgiven for all of his sin? If Hitler repented, God counts nothing, nothing against him. He's called righteous and blameless and holy. You cringe at that, don't you? We all do. It it seems unjust that a person should be so wicked and just get off. They get off the hook. We often think that about Hitler. We think that about people in prison. Oh, all of a sudden now they're a Christian, right? So now they're a good, nice person sitting behind bars. We we think this way because it, it is unjust. We should not just get off the hook for our sins, but we normally only apply it to those really wicked people. Think of Jonah. He's looking at this really wicked city. A city that is piled with bodies, it tells us in other places in Scripture. They're wicked people. Bloodthirsty people. So when they repent and they're forgiven, and now they're God's people welcomed into his family, Jonah's mad. He thinks it's unjust. It is not fair. And and you and I think the same way sometimes. But never to our own sin. Never to the the pettiness of our sins. The wicked are forgiven. What must happen to guard us from this same sort of anger that Jonah had is we must remember Christ and remember what he did for you. That that was also, if you want to count fairness, not fair. That Christ took your sin upon himself. He was called a liar. He was called a cheat. He was called an idol worshiper. It's called a hater of God on your behalf. That's not fair. That's not right. That is unjust. An innocent man should not die for the guilty. But yet, in your place condemned he stood. When we remember that, and you remember that sin against God is wicked from one thing to a hundred things, then you realize we have no right to be angry if God was to save Hitler. We have no right to be angry if God saves the rapist. We have no right to be angry if God has saved us. It's the same. It's the same so we understand where Jonah's coming from. This wicked people and his human, fleshly, natural, instant response is he thinks it's not right and he's angry about it. So much so that he says... In verse 2, he prayed to the Lord and said, 
Uh, is this not what I said would happen? He says, I, I thought this would happen. This is exactly why I wanted to flee. Those wicked people did not deserve to be called children of God. This is exactly, he goes, I knew it. That's why I got on that ship and I tried to go the other way. That's why I tried to flee to Tarshish, he says. Because he knew something about who God was. Look at what uh, the end of verse 2 says. For I knew that you are a gracious God. You're merciful. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knew true things about God. True things. He knew them all. He knew that God was gracious. That is, he gives men what they do not deserve. Nineveh deserved punishment. But Jonah knew that God is gracious, that he doesn't always give what people deserve. Jonah knew that God is merciful, that he's compassionate towards uh, lots of people. And that, interesting enough, the next phrase, he is slow to anger. Jonah was quick to anger. He steps foot in a wicked city and he's very likely angry. He knows that God is slow to anger, that he's patient in his anger, that even his anger and his wrath is slow to come. He is slow to anger. So then when Jonah knows this, what do you think he's anticipating God will do? Uh, He's going to be patient with these people. He's going to send me. I'm going to tell them. And he's going to give them an opportunity to repent. Jonah likely wanted instant justice. I show up and say, God's about to bring fire down. Any repenters? No, dead. But he knows that God is slow to anger. That God's not just in a wrath or a fury like you or I when we're angry. There is no rationalization in an angry person. It's almost like a flick of a switch sometimes, isn't it? Because we understand it's like shaking a bottle of pop. You open it and it blows. That's how anger works. And you just see the explosion. You're like, well, what happened? A lot built up. Well, guess what? God is slow to anger. And he's never going to have an outburst that is selfish or wrong or lash out in a way that is unacceptable like you or I do, like Jonah did. It's always um, uh, proper in his anger. And so he, he knew this about God. And he knew that God abounded in steadfast love, that his love was a faithful love, his love was a lasting love, and that he, he overflowed with love. So, of course, if he's going to a wicked people, what's God going to do but extend to them mercy, grace, and love? And he says, and God, you relent from disaster. He says, I I know that it's been true in the past that you have withheld disaster which should have been on the people. The people of Israel many times experienced this, where God was about to judge them, pronounced judgment on them, and withheld it. So Jonah knows very well this God. He knows a lot about God. But is that knowledge of God and what he knows about God enough to change him? According to this chapter, it's not. And that's what's hard for you and for me. Because oftentimes we assume that the more I know about God, I'm just going to be different. Well, that's not so. Jonah maybe knew these things, but he didn't want these things to be true. At least not for those people. Think about it. Jonah knows that God is gracious, giving what he doesn't deserve. Well, when Jonah went overboard, what did he deserve? 
death, and eternal separation from God. So he know, he's just experienced the grace of God. He's just experienced the mercy of God in saving him through this great, miraculous fish. He's experienced the grace, the mercy, that God was not angry with him right away for disobeying him when he boarded the ship to go the other way. That God was slow to anger with him. That God, God's love abounded to him. That God not, did not destroy him. Jonah has freshly experienced all these things he knows about God. So it's not just about he didn't, he didn't experience them. He did. Jonah knew these things about God. He had experienced these things about God. But yet, he still didn't want that for someone else. And that's what happens when, when you and I think about those really wicked people. We'll take it all for ourselves. We'll take the grace for ourselves. We'll take the mercy for us. We, we're so glad that God is slow and patient with us. But on those wicked people, we demand instant justice. It's a, it's a wrong view because you're so self-focused. You're not even focused on who God is. Like He's focusing on God here. This is who you are, God, and that's what matters. Not who I am, how I respond, what I know, what I've experienced. He is saying, this is all about God and who he is. So that's where we must place our trust and our focus. So based on that, based on God's uh, character, Jonah says, I'm angry. So verse 3 says, take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. He'd rather die than see these people live in light of the grace of God. He'd rather die and not experience their life of pleasure in God. I'd rather die than live. And God's response, he doesn't even address or acknowledge the fact that Jonah wants to die. He just says, do you do well to be angry? Like, do you have a right to be angry, Jonah? Jonah thinks he does. But the way God asks the question is so interesting, right? Like, you, the man who just experienced grace, mercy, love, my slowness to anger, and my relenting of disaster, do you have a right to be angry right now? The answer is no. Jonah has no right to be angry. But Jonah thinks he does. He thinks he does. So what's amazing is God begins to show Jonah his foolishness. He's beginning to expose how foolish it is for Jonah to be thinking and acting this way. So then we have this object lesson that God taught Jonah. We find in verses 5 through the end. So he went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat in the shade of it until he could see what became of the city. So the picture is, Jonah went, he preached this message. In 40 days, God's going to destroy you. He saw them respond, he saw them repent, he saw them fasting, them wailing, them mourning their sin, and he carries on out of the city. He says, I'm going to sit and wait because I think justice is coming. And i got to get out of that city because if God's going to destroy the city in 40 days, I don't want to be there. So he gets out of the city and he's watching. He sets up camp so he can see what happens. He wants to see another Sodom and Gomorrah happen here. So he's waiting outside the city and he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting to see what would become of the city. Interesting. He sees their response. He sees God's mercy on them. They respond to God's mercy. And he still is hoping for destruction. He's hoping God will keep his word through Jonah. In 40 days, the city's going to be destroyed. He wanted to see what would become of the city. So what God did while Jonah was out there at his camp, 
being all grumpy, angry. He's out there expecting death on that city. Look at verse 6. The Lord God appointed. I love that word. He appointed. And see what he appointed. Something so insignificant. A plant. He appointed a plant and made it to cover over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Wow. (laughs) That's incredible. This, This angry Jonah is God is being so gracious towards. He's being so merciful towards him. Jonah still has a rotten attitude. It wasn't as though it was some sort of reward, like, you did my work, all right, now I'm going to make sure you're comfortable. That wasn't it. The comfort God brought was amazing. It was just as Jonah needed. Think about this when you think God bringing you comfort. He brings just what Jonah needed at just the right time. And it made Jonah um, exceedingly glad. It pleased him. God will often bring comfort at just the right time, just the right amount, and it'll bring great pleasure to you. You'll take joy in the fact that God is being merciful. But the problem is sometimes is when we delight too much in the comfort. Delight in the comfort. Charles Spurgeon says, sometimes a man spends all his time rejoicing over the comfort, which then becomes idolatry. You begin to worship the comfort, seek that comfort, adore the comfort, and you have a great affections for the thing that comforts you above the God who gave you the comfort. That's what happened here with Jonah. He was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Well, how do we know that he idolized this plant? Well, how are we able to identify idols in our own life? Do you know how? Such things as comfort... Do we idolize comfort as Jonah did here? How do we know that we have wrongly elevated something in our life? Listen to how God, this God of mercy, exposes the destruction affections of our hearts. This was a destruction, destructive affection. He loved this plant more than he loved God. And the way we can tell it's an idol, the way we can tell we've made it above God, is when God takes it away, how we respond. So verse 7 tells us, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed, God did this thing, another, even smaller, insignificant thing. He appointed just a little worm. Likely unseen to Jonah, a little worm he appointed that attacked the plant. God did this. The comfort that he brought, God brought the destruction of the comfort so that it attacked the plant, so that it withered. So when the sun rose, God appointed something else. A scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. God appointed that comfort. And then God took the comfort away. He gave the comfort at just the right time. It made Jonah exceedingly glad as exactly what Jonah needed. And then God took it away from him. It wasn't Satan that came in as a worm. God appointed the worm to take away Jonah's comfort. Something as small as a worm. Something as small as a cancer cell. Something as small as a distracted driver on the road. Something as small as a nerve. And you'll notice it was not just one trial. The worm and the plant. But now it's two. Not only was the comfort taken away, and thus his joy withered, but now there's a scorching wind that is hot and making him not just uncomfortable, but in pain. Oftentimes, trials come one after the other. 
Jonah thought that he was safe and secure, right? He got out of the city, which is supposed to be destroyed. He thought, I'm safe, I'm secure. Built myself a little rock hut here. He thought he was safe and secure. And then he trusted in this plant. He took great joy in this plant. It made him exceedingly glad. And then God tore it down. He showed him his security was in the wrong place. His joy was in the wrong place. His trust was in the wrong place. He exposed the idol. How does he do that in your life? What are the things that you elevate, you love, you cling to, that if God took it away, you'd be angry? There are things, there are so many things in our lives. And and comfort, I think we all fall prey to this one. We, We all often will idolize comfort. We love comfort. Who wants to be uncomfortable? No one. So we idolize sometimes comfort. And then when God takes it away, we become bitter. We just pray for comfort. We ask God for comfort. And here, Jonah, so uncomfortable, says, I'd rather die. Not realizing that this was just to expose his idol. What he had elevated in his life, what he looked to, what he trusted in, what he loved more than this God who is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah looked more to the plant and to the God who made it, the God who gave it. So then God says, after Jonah has his plant taken away, he asks that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Verse 9, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Like, why are you so mad about the plant? And Jonah said, yes. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And then the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Like, this thing is so insignificant. You had nothing to do with it, and yet you're grieved over its loss. Why are you crying? Why do you want to die? Why are you so depressed because the plant's gone? You had nothing to do with the plant, Jonah. Just like you and I sometimes, you know? God will give us children. He'll make them grow, and he may take them away. Will we do well to be angry at God? Same thing. God gives us comfort. God gives us jobs, homes, um, no persecution in our country. Will we do well to be angry at God if he takes it away? Of course not. We made none of it happen. We deserve none of it. It is because God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love that we have anything. So he says, he compares this plant to the affections of Jonah and he says, why do you love that thing so? You pity the plant. And then he said, should I not pity Nineveh? Should I not have mercy on Nineveh? Like, you love this plant so much that you're, you're grieving its loss. Like, I, I made those people in Nineveh. I I supply their food. I make sure they're still alive today, even though they're wicked and they hate me. I've loved them with a steadfast love. And now I'm being gracious and merciful to them. I'm being slow to anger. Should I not pity them? So he exposes Jonah's uh, wrong focus. Even the cattle God cares for. He says, I created all these things. And I have the right to be merciful even on them. And the story ends like that. Angry Jonah, out in the wilderness, just waiting for the city to be destroyed. But God was gracious, 
and merciful and abounding in steadfast love and slow to anger. He didn't destroy the city at 40 days. So Jonah, as it says in verse 1, was displeased exceedingly and angry. That's what we're left with, the character of Jonah. What we do not want to be left with is that being us. For us to be displeased if God saves the wicked next door neighbor. With us to be angry if God takes away one of the comforts that he has given us for a time. We would do well to, to know who God is. The gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We would be well to know that, to experience it, but then also to trust it. Just to put everything there. God, I, I, I entrust that wicked person to you. And my heart. My heart, because I am... I'm prone to Jonah. I am prone to be like him. To think that your grace is good for me, but not for them. Let us not have this sort of anger towards God. Let us not idolize the things that God gives us. Let us see the God of mercy. And then surrender all of our situations, all of our circumstances, all of our people and our mission and everything we have surrendered to him. The God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Let us entrust him with our everything. Let's pray. God, you are you're amazing. You could rightly pour out judgment on each one of us, but yet you were slow to anger with us, You were patient with us. God, that from the time until we gave our lives over to you, you were patient and slow to anger with us. You could have taken us years before and and we would have paid the the due penalty in hell forever. God, we're thankful for your patience. Pray for those who are still in that moment of patience. God, that you would help them to repent and believe the gospel, that, that Jesus would stand on their behalf that he would take all of their sin and their guilt, and that because of that, that we who have experienced Jesus Christ's um, substitutionary atonement as he stands in our place, that we would rejoice and we would be glad when others experience the same. God, help us and expose our idols. We do not want to be so distracted by things of comfort, things you uh, give us for a time, that we are caught up in them and we don't see um, the rest of what's going on in your perfect plan. Help us, God, to see what we love more than you, to see what we would be angry about if it was gone, and then to surrender them to you and say, they are yours. Take them, if you will, for your good use. God, we want to be people who love you as we should, and we need your help in that. So help us, as we are so glad you have, for us who are believers, to repent. Help us to keep on repenting. For those who maybe are not yet believers, help them to repent to turn from their trusting in themselves or trusting in a system or trusting in a, a knowledge or a whatever it may be. Stop trusting. Help us to trust in Jesus alone, God, each one of us, so that we might be satisfied forever. God, we thank you for this book. We thank you for your word that is sufficient to teach us and train us in, in righteousness. May it be used in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.